reading this evening is from 2 Timothy, chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and it's to be found on page 1197 in the Church Bible. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Well, in case you haven't heard, the latest news from the GB team is that uh, Paula Radcliffe has pulled out of the, uh, the Olympics due to health reasons. Interesting, one of the, the enduring images of the 2004 Athens Olympics was Paula Radcliffe sitting on the, the curbside in tears, her Olympic dreams dashed. No one can understand what had happened. But um, over the next few days, um, she was lambasted in the press and labelled a quitter. The worst thing for many people wasn't that she didn't win a medal, but uh, that she didn't keep going. She didn't finish the race. We're doing a short um, sermon series on Sunday evenings at the moment on biblical crowns. And we've looked uh, at the crown that will last forever, the crown of joy, and this evening... We're looking at the crown of righteousness. And the passage in which this uh, crown appears is Paul's second letter to Timothy. Probably the last letter that uh, Paul wrote. He's writing from prison. And it's clear that he thinks his time is nearly over on this earth. But look at verse 6 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. There he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. That image of the, uh, the drink offering refers to the Old Testament ritual of pouring out a, uh, a drink before the altar as a sacrifice to God. His death is uh, as a result of his ministry and so he's sacrificing himself for God. But these are not the words of pain, the words of defeat, but these are words of triumph and glory. There's a departure here, but there's a leaving behind, but a, in the sense of a, a ship loosening its moorings 
and setting sail from harbour. But before Paul departs to receive his long-awaited crown, he has some unfinished business. He wants to make sure that Timothy and in turn that those to whom Timothy ministers do not lose the crowns which they should receive as well in due course. And so he's writing here to encourage them to keep the faith, not give up the race, but to keep going right to the end. And by pointing to the fact that uh, he himself is about to finish the race, Paul is saying to them, look, it is possible. Just look at how the Lord has sustained me right to the end. And he will sustain you if you keep focused on him. What is the main motivation that Paul gives Timothy to keep going? Well, it's to receive the crown of righteousness, the crown that uh, will be awarded to all those who have longed for his appearing. Now, the idea of receiving a reward for, for effort, for achievement, is it something which um, we can relate to? For the younger ones, it may be a certificate at uh, school. At the Olympics, um, we're going to be seeing many times over the next couple of weeks, medals being put round the necks of those who have won. Recently, we saw a yellow jersey at the Arc de Triomphe. But what exactly is a crown of righteousness? What is this? all about. Well, I think a clue is given in the way this short passage uh, that we looked at here starts and finishes. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 4. There it says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, and goes on to give the charge to Timothy. But have a look on to verse 8. Because there Paul writes, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The idea that is repeated here is that Christ Jesus himself will appear. We will come into his presence. We will see him face to face, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember in in 2 Peter? And when he will appear, it will be as king, And it will be as judge. He is the righteous judge, it says here, who will judge the living and the dead. And it's the judge who will award the crown of righteousness to all who long for his appearing. The judge has the power to reject as well as to welcome. To some he will say, go away from me. To others he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, why would you look forward to the judge coming unless you knew that he would find you righteous? Unless you knew that he would award you the crown of righteousness. Incidentally, the crown of righteousness doesn't mean here, I think, as most commentators would say, that people are awarded righteousness. It's not that righteousness is the crown that that we receive. It's literally the crown of the righteous, the crown that the righteous will receive. And so you would only look forward to the judge appearing if you knew that you were among the righteous. Otherwise, it would be like waiting for your exam results. You know, you think you did okay, but um, what about that question you missed out? You need three A's to get into university, but um, are you going to get all of them? It's a nervous time, as our young people will be experiencing at the moment, waiting for those exam results. 
as it is in a number of other areas of life as we wait for results. But there's no sign of nervousness here from Paul, is there? He is confident that he will receive the crown of righteousness. And you might think, well, that's uh, a little bit arrogant, isn't it? You know, I know he's done some incredible missionary work. I know he's gone through incredible suffering for the sake of the gospel. I know he's gone through incredible anguish because of his love for God's people. But how does he know that that is enough? Well, of course, the answer is that it is not based on what he's done. We know from Romans 3 that no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Righteousness is about being right with God and we are made right with God as soon as his grace causes us to repent and to trust in Christ Jesus alone for our salvation. At that point, God looks at us and considers us righteous and he seals us with his spirit to guarantee that inheritance to guarantee that we will receive that crown on that day he comes again. Ever since the day when uh, Paul saw the light on the road to Damascus, he's longed for the day when he would see Christ again. In his letter to um, the Philippians, he describes this, this yearning, how it affects every part of his life. Let's just turn briefly to Philippians chapter 3, page 1180 of the Church Bibles. Have a look down at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. I just sense the, uh, the yearning, the joy that, that, that Paul has here. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. We could carry on with an amazing sense, actually we will carry on. Just look at the end of verse 13 there. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. The prize is to be welcomed into the presence of God. There's no other reward that is greater than that. That moment when Christ will place the crown on those who he has created, those whom he has perfected. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we share that same longing for Christ's appearing? Do we share the same confidence that we will receive that crown of righteousness? Because it's that longing for Christ's appearing that has helped Paul keep the faith. It's that that has given him the confidence in his last days that he's nothing to fear when he meets the righteous judge. What's clear with Paul is, is his is not a lazy attitude to God's grace. 
He doesn't sit back after the Damascus Road experience and just count down the days till he receives that crown. That was the day he became a soldier for Christ. That was the day he entered the battle to live out his faith, to to make the gospel known. And as he reaches the end of his life, he says confidently, going back to 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. He's gone through a lot to be able to say that. What is it that makes him able to say that? Well, in the verse immediately before that, he says in verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I think these, these three, three phrases here are different ways of saying the same thing, which is to keep the faith. The belief that Jesus Christ has ensured our salvation through his death and his resurrection and the desire to live out that faith in a, in a hostile world. What these three different phrases convey is that to keep the faith is not an easy thing. It's a fight. Not a a boxing match in which we can be knocked out at any moment and the fight is over. But a long wrestling match in which at times we will think we we are doing well, we've got the upper hand. Other times our opponent is on top of us. And it will feel like just the weight of Pastor Jonathan is on top of us. You know, no disrespect to Pastor Jonathan. It's a fight. It's a struggle. And it's also a race. You know, again, not a quick sprint that's over in less than 10 seconds like Usain Bolt, but a marathon. I mentioned Paula Radcliffe earlier on at the Athens Olympics. Uh, when she pulled out the press, the press criticised her. Some said, well, she realised she wasn't going to get gold and so she wasn't interested in anything else. She didn't bother to to finish the race. But when you read her own account, she went through incredible pain. She says that from 10 kilometres on, she'd been struggling with violent stomach stomach cramps, with lack of energy. And she said, by 36 kilometres, I knew I was in big trouble. I could hardly pick up my legs at all. They were like sore lead weights. I felt so empty. Yet I was only one kilometre past my last bottle. It got to the point where I couldn't put one foot in front of the other. And I stopped. It's hard to keep the faith. But then you may ask yourself, well, why does Jesus elsewhere, when he appeared, why did he say it was easy? Do you remember those words from Matthew 11? This is what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now what's what's that about? How can it be easy and hard? Well, I think the answer is that what God requires from us is actually easy. What could be easier than not having to earn our way to heaven? but simply resting in the free grace of God, the gift of God. What makes it hard is that the human heart is not willing. We don't like to accept a free gift of grace. We are proud people. We want to to feel that we have somehow deserved our, our salvation. There are not many Olympic athletes um, who can say like 
Eric Little, I believe God made me fast. Most want to stand on that podium and say, look at what I have done. They want to feel proud of themselves. And that is why faith is so hard, because we are are fighting against our own sinful natures, our own desires to prove ourselves, to, to say that, look what I've done. It's down to me. And we're fighting against Satan. Hebrews 12 um, says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The struggle is against sin. Not only do our, our sinful human natures want to prove themselves, they're constantly being enticed to follow the way of the world. A different way from the way that God wants us to follow. We're in a battle against Satan. There are many tactics that Satan employs to, um, to, make, us a hint, to make us stumble. The key objective for him is for us to lose our faith. And one of the ways in which he does that is by tempting us with the desires of this world. Have a look um, down at uh, verse uh, 9 of uh, 2 Timothy 4. This is what Paul was writing to Timothy. He says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Damas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. A co-worker of Paul's who loved the world and deserted him. And let's be honest, the desires of the world can be subtle, can be enticing. And Satan will play on our vulnerability. He knows our weak spots. And before long, we may ourselves have betrayed the Lord. Another way in which Satan tries to hinder us is through suffering, isn't it? Through making us think, well, it's just it's not worth it. And that is where, like Paul, we have to be convinced that that comfort, that health, that wealth are not the most important things in this world. Let's just turn briefly to Acts um, chapter 20. Acts 20 on page 1117. I'm reading from verse 22. This is what uh, Paul writes. He writes, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And that is a task that all of us share in different ways. Our greatest priority is to be obedient to God and to be faithful in that task. Paul didn't just endure his suffering. He welcomed it. He welcomed it as a means of God strengthening him so that he could finish the race. This is what it says in Hebrews. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. This is training in righteousness. 
what can we take away from this? What are the practical things we can take away from this? Well, I think one for us all is that don't be surprised or embarrassed if you are struggling spiritually. If we're told the journey of faith will be a hard one, that it will be a struggle, then we shouldn't be surprised or embarrassed if we are struggling. And rather than pretending that everything is fine, we should seek help. Seek help from our our fellow Christians. Seek help from Jeff and myself as pastors. That's what we're here for. Don't feel we just have to come to us. We should all be helping each other in the struggle. It's often easier to ask for prayer for physical problems, for health problems, than it is when we're struggling spiritually. Unless we admit we have a problem, we won't be able to deal with it. And if we're not struggling, then let's not look down on those those who are. Don't be surprised or embarrassed. And secondly, be aware of the devil's aim. We need to remember what it is, is his aim. It's not just to get us to verbally deny the faith, to say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ anymore. He'd love it if we did do that. But he'd be just as happy if we didn't deny our belief in Jesus, but if that belief wasn't evident in the way we lived out our lives. And so when we find our love for Christ maybe growing cold, when we find our desire to see Jesus appear again, when we, if that starts to fade, when we find our love for the world increasing, we need to take those as warnings that the devil is getting the upper hand. And in which case we need to take up the weapons that uh, God has given us for the fight. And that brings us on to our last point, that we will keep the faith. We will, we will run this race. We will win the battle by relying on his word and his spirit. Paul's letter to Timothy here is meant to be an encouragement. It's an encouragement to stay the course. He doesn't try and pretend that there won't be hardships, that there won't be suffering. But he says, make use of the weapons that are available to you so that you can protect yourself, you can protect those in your care. And those powerful weapons that come out so clearly in this whole letter are his word and his spirit. God doesn't expect us to go into battle unarmed. That would be a bit like this picture here coming up on the screen there. Paul says earlier in the letter that Timothy has learned God's word from childhood. He's known the character of those who have taught it to him. He's knowledge that God's word was inspired by God. It was God-breathed. He's realized that only through God's word could he be equipped for ministry. Have a look at verse 16 there of um, chapter 3. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is our weapon, to be well trained in righteousness. And that is why he goes on to exhort him, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Rely on the word in your battle. Equip others to rely on it as well. And it's for for Timothy even more important now because Paul is about to leave this world. He will no longer be able to rely on his advice, his support, his encouragement. But he's got God's word there to rely on. 
Timothy is uh, in Ephesus, as Paul writes to him, and it was in Paul's letter to the Ephesians that uh, Paul reminded them of the spiritual battle that uh, they're in. The need to put on the full armour of God. He told them to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, fight together. The Spirit uses the Word to to do His work. And Satan tries to convince us that uh, the world is attractive, that it's better to trust ourselves than, than God. Where better to turn to the Word that's full of promises we know to be true, we've seen fulfilled in our own lives. Let's just turn briefly as we finish to, to Psalm 73. Because this is a great psalm with somebody who is uh, struggling in their faith, somebody who's looking around them, the proud, the arrogant, and their wealth, their wealth and prosperity. And somebody who's thinking, why do I bother? Why do I carry on? And look at what the psalmist writes. In verse 13, the psalmist is saying, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, it's just a waste of time. Why don't I just give up this race now? But then comes the realisation in verse 21. Actually, in verse 23, he writes, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And part of our problem is that we have this incredible weapon at our disposal. Psalms like that we can turn to. Psalms we can try and memorise. And yet so often we satisfy ourselves that we we just know enough of God's word to get by. A bit like me in mobile phones. I know how to make a phone call. Just about know how to text. But there are hundreds of things the phone can, can do that I haven't made the effort to understand. And when I do find out something new, it's quite exciting, isn't it? just found out the other day I could uh, speak into my phone and it could type out the words for a text for me. How brilliant is that? It's like that with the Word of God. We look into it, we find new riches, and we get excited by it. If we don't take up the Word of of God, the sword of the Spirit, not only are we not protecting ourselves, we're not protecting others who might need it. You know, when people do share their problems with us, how often do we just use our human wisdom to, to help them instead of the wisdom that we have here in God's Word? There is real power in knowing the word of God. Psalm 1 says, The man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night, is like a tree planted by streams of water. And that's how we should treat God's word. A constant flow coming into us. Well, we are in a fight. We we are in a race. But we have what we need to, to keep us going. We need to make use of it, though. We need to make use of what God has given us, his word and his spirit. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on the finishing line. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so we long 
for his appearing. So the one day, we all, like Paul, will be able to say exactly the same thing. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Amen. Let's have a moment of quiet just to um, reflect on what has been said from, from God. Listen to him speaking to us personally. And what we need to um, let the change in our own lives. Let him encourage us.